Well, thank you, Andy, for that uh, kind introduction. Um, yes, I'm, I'm currently involved in uh, helping another church through transition, actually, Rexdale Alliance. Uh, I've been there for almost a year now. Um, and the, the, uh, the really interesting thing is that they actually have another David Lewis on staff with them. There's, it, there's, there's no relationship, but uh, he's there. So, it, it, I mean, it's actually kind of neat because whenever, you know, I mess up or whatever, I say, well, it was just that David Lewis. And uh, so we have, we have this uh, interesting uh, connection going on. Um, hey, it's good to be back. Good to uh, be here again and, and uh, see what God's doing among you. Um, got a phone call from uh, Lucas last night. He was at the airport and uh, he called and just, uh, and as I was talking to him, I, I almost got the, the sense that, that he, was, he was more worried about me being here without him than getting on a plane and flying to uh, where he's going. And uh, so uh, in, in the course of the conversation, he said, yeah, so... Uh, Kind of say something nice about me, okay? <laughs> so I thought about that. And I thought about it for quite a long time, actually. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? Not, not that long ago, he uh, invited me out for lunch and he actually paid for it. That was kind of nice. <laughs> but the thing I love about Lucas is what kind of captured us when we were looking for a, a new lead pastor here. And, and that's with, with him, there's no mediocrity when he gets up here and, and, and teaches the scriptures. They just burn in his heart, and, uh, and, and I just love that about him. And, and so it's, it's an honor, actually, for me to stand here and, uh, and, and speak to you uh, today as in his place. I understand that, uh, that you've been in a, in a series on, on the judges over the, the summer, to, or this fall rather, and so as I was thinking a, a, about that theme, and of course what happened in judges is that everybody did whatever they wanted, what was right in their own eyes, and, and God was trying to pull the, the nation back together, and so had these judges to, uh, to help in that, but it, it all kind of points to the reality of of. Of the, of the coming of Jesus to be the judge of us all, of course, but also to help us understand that, that there's something that God has in mind for us. And so he had the judges and in, in, in all bringing the nation. Now we have Jesus to bring us into right relationship with God. And so as I was thinking more about that, I thought, you know, there's a passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3 that, that has always kind of gripped me. And, and, and I thought, you know, I think this kind of fits in with the, the series on, on Judges and, uh, and how we find our moral base in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles or have them on your devices, uh, we're going to dive into a few verses in Colossians chapter 3, and I would invite you to um, look that up if uh, you so desire. But uh, before we get there, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father... We're grateful for this time that we've already had and, and as already has been asked um, and, and, and indicated, we, we welcome you here. Really, I, I guess when we say that, we are kind of welcoming ourselves into your presence because you promise that wherever two or three are gathered together that you are there with them and so you are here. 
and we acknowledge that, and uh, we're so delighted to know that that is a reality. And so we pray that as we continue in our worship experience with you, and as we've been instructed already through the scriptures and through the singing and, 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 and words, um, we just pray that you will now, as we look into your word, continue to instruct us. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher, because we need to hear from you. We need to know what you want to say to us. And so we ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. On my uh, ministry vocation, my ministry journey for uh, about eight plus years, I gave oversight to 56 churches in uh, southwestern Ontario. I was invited along with my wife on one occasion to attend a mortgage burning ceremony at one of these churches, a church that had been successful in paying off a, a rather sizable debt on their building, and of course they wanted to celebrate that. And so a celebration had been planned at a local golf and country club. The dress code for the event was semi-formal. So my wife and I packed our clothing accordingly and headed off to the hotel where we would be staying. When it came time to change out of our travel clothes and get dressed for the banquet, Janie discovered that she had brought two mismatched shoes, one black, one blue. She had inadvertently picked up one shoe each from two different pairs of shoes that were side by side on her shoe rack in, in her, her cupboard. It may not have been so bad if one of the shoes didn't have a bow on it, but it did. I tried to make light of the situation and everything, and I said, well, honey, just think of it this way. You have another pair exactly the same at home. <laughs> Not sure that helped. And so all night long, she tried to hide her mismatched shoes while mingling with women dressed out in evening gowns and stylish matching footwear. Paul has reached the point in his letter to the Colossian church where he has described who Jesus is and how Jesus alone is the source of everything needed for life and godliness. He now shifts his focus to challenging his readers to embrace a lifestyle that reflects the character and priorities of Jesus. He says, clothe yourselves with those traits that portray the presence of the living Christ living within you. And then he goes on and states that if they have truly believed that what he has been teaching them about the centrality of Jesus in their faith walk, it will naturally show up in how they live. They will fashion their lives after the likeness of Jesus. Now again, when Paul wrote his letter to the Colossian church, it was becoming more and more fashionable to combine teachings, teachings, ideals, and practices from a number of different belief systems. The cool thing was to have a variety of belief patterns derived from the current philosophies and religions included in one religious, one's religious wardrobe, a little Greek thought, some forms of Judaism, and even a touch of pagan rituals mixed in with the Christian faith. In this way, they would appear to be showing a religious tolerance that would appear to be, uh, that would demonstrate their acceptance of all faiths. Now, this may sound good, but the result would be nothing short of a mismatched pairing of religious expression that would prevent walking with confidence in the fullness of Christ. Only Jesus has the power to bring about life change that will lead to genuine holy living. 
Only Jesus is capable of fashioning our lives according to God's design because he alone has died in payment for our sins and risen in victory over them. Only as we connect with Christ in a faith commitment for the forgiveness of sin and the promise of new life is the promise of new life can we ever hope to become all that God has in mind for us. God's design for our lives is to fashion us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Now Paul argues that the prospect for transformational living has become present reality for his readers because of their identification with Christ in his resurrection power. You have been raised to life with Christ, Paul declares. This acknowledgement completes Paul's earlier declaration that they have died to their old way of living by being connected with Christ in his death. And so he wrote, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Paul's insistence is this, through the person and work of Christ, his readers have been set free from their former way of living in order to live out whom they have become, God's holy people. Models of Christ-likeness on the runway of the world stage. And so in light of this reality, Paul calls the Colossians to a new outlook on life. He writes, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so here we have a brief description of the true status of followers of Jesus. They have purified hearts, renewed minds, and the hope of life forever in the presence of Christ. Now the punctuation used in verse 1 of chapter 3 especially the commas, varies in different translations of, our, in, of the English Bible. Commas can make a difference in life. I have a friend who has this sign hung up in his garage with this saying on it, let's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. And then followed by this, by this commas save lives. The earliest version of the New International Version of the Scriptures, which I have on my uh, book in my library, placed the commas within verse 1 in this position. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But a newer version of the NIV, along with other translations, insert a comma between is, the words is, and seated, so that the verse reads as follows. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now there's a slight, I think, uh, yet important variance in the placement of this comma that makes a difference on what we set our hearts upon. By including a comma between is and seated helped us place our heart's interest not just on things above, namely on heaven, but on the present reality of Christ's sovereign rule over all powers and authorities and dominions in this earth. The emphasis becomes set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now the scriptures don't have a lot to say about heaven or what it is like really. 
What is clear is that heaven is the place where the crucified Christ already reigns, where those who have placed their faith in him already have the full rights of access and are secure in the hope of entrance upon death. And so we have read for us earlier in the past, in the, our worship time this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, that talks about the reality that, that Jesus is sitting in heaven. And we can come before the throne of grace and we can bring to him everything that's on our hearts and our minds and know that we have full access to him because he's sitting there waiting for us to come. And so the comma that saves us from misplaced priorities leads to a heart for Christ in his present setting. What this means is that the position that Jesus currently holds is to play out in how we live. Heaven touches earth through hearts that are given over to a unique blend of love and strength of character found in the affirmation of being one with Christ in his power and in his position. And so we have a heart for what Jesus represents. We have a heart for Christ where he currently is interceding on our behalf. Well, from a heart response to the risen Christ, Paul goes on to make the appeal for having a mind above the world. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, let's be clear about what Paul is not saying here. He is not saying that we stop thinking about our lives on earth altogether. Life in Christ causes us to aim higher in what we think about while we walk this present globe. He is calling us to a renewal of our mind, a refusal to let our thoughts be shaped by the values and attitudes of the world, to think higher thoughts, to think above, above the way the world thinks. Serious followers of Jesus understand that there is a greater cause on which they set their minds. What are those matters to which we are to give our mental attention? Well, whenever I think about this, question, there are, are two verses or two writings in scripture particularly that come to my mind. The first is Micah chapter 6 verse 8. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? I like this statement for its simplicity, although I will admit that while it is easy to remember, it is quite a challenge to live by. But it helps me to keep in mind where God places high value and where my attention needs to be focused. The other writing I, I reference is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And here I'm told where it would be honoring to God and beneficial to my mental health to give my undivided attention. What will get my mind off of debilitating thoughts and cause me to be alert to God's activity all around me is to give attention to what is true and honorable and right and pure and compassionate and uplifting. These are the excellent places to where my mind is to habitually be drawn. Here's what I've discovered by choosing to let my mind wander off into these thought processes. I begin to experience the renewing and empowering activity of the Holy Spirit 
in my thinking. The flow of the Spirit begins to happen so that I find myself not trying so hard to attend to the making of an excellent mind. I find these thoughts naturally occurring. The Holy Spirit's work is not to get me really good at keeping a checklist. The Spirit's intention is to renew my mind with truth-based, pleasing, life-producing thoughts and actions. And so as I invite the Spirit to be active in my life each and every day, my mindset changes. And the flow of the Spirit of God begins to flow through me and change me and empower me into what God intends me to be. The level of above-the-world thinking that Paul has in mind is a spirit-led and spirit-empowered life transformation that brings you into the awareness of who you really are. Christ ones, hidden in the heart of God for now and forever. This hidden life in Christ is explained this way by the apostle. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul is pointing to a positional reality that takes place typically without much visible proof. Sure, there are often stories that when a person believes on Jesus as Savior, dramatic life change occurs. However, the power of being hidden in Christ does not depend on outward show. It is a secret of work of the Spirit that defies logical explanation. There is a mysteriousness attached to this work of God within us. Paul has already addressed the mysterious nature of God's redemptive plan for humanity and the world earlier in his writing to the Colossians. Here he picks up on it again, only this time on a very personal note for his readers. He has said that that they have died, but in actuality they are still very much alive. So what is the nature of this death? It is the mysterious cutting away of their ties to a way of life in collision with God's grace. It is gaining freedom from past loyalties and destructive behaviors. It is finding the way out of a dead-end lifestyle. So when Paul says you died, he is really saying that you have been released from sin's power in your life. It no longer holds control over you. You have been hidden from it in Christ. You are secure from sin's guilt-producing, enslaving effects. You are protected from its invasion into your thought life and your way of living. Jesus has freed you from it and invites you to sink securely into his care. In writing on the book of Colossians, Stuart Briscoe tells of the day in which he was discharged from the Royal Marines. He writes, I was standing on parade in Portsmouth, Hampshire, in England, in my Royal Marine uniform, when the officer came and said, in effect, David Stuart Briscoe, you are now dismissed from His Majesty's Royal Marines and may seek civilian employment. The day I was released, I saw the regimental sergeant major walking toward me. Whenever we saw him coming, our backs would spring up straight. We'd swing our arms up to the shoulder, thumb down, heels dug in. That's what you do when the RSM showed up. And so my head sprang up, my back straightened up. I began to march. My arm went to leap up to salute. And then a little voice inside me said, you died to him. And I said, what? You died to him. 
But he's not dead. That's right, and you're not dead either. Well, if he's not dead and I'm not dead, how could I have died to him? Simple. You have no further obligation to him, and he has no further authority over you. So if you like, you can go around looking silly, marching around like that, swinging your arm up to salute. Why, though? Why continue in subjection to that to which you have died? And I thought, I don't really want to. And so a very funny thing happened. My back curled ever so slightly. My hands found their way deliciously into my pockets. I scuffed my heels, and as I walked past the man, I whistled. He went red, then purple, but he couldn't do a thing. I was now hidden from him by my new position, and he no longer held any authority over me. Briscoe goes on to conclude that when Paul writes about being dead to our sinful lives, he is indicating that we are released from our past history of sin. It no longer has any right to shout in our ears or call the cadence to which we march. We are dead to its authority. Why keep on living to it? We have been liberated from all of the hurtful things that would keep our hearts and minds away from Christ. So the next time they come along, just whistle at them because they can't do a thing. Well, Paul moves on from the mysterious nature of being hidden in Christ to unpack some practical outcomes that naturally flow from living securely in this position. The new outlook that is linked to life in Christ leads to embracing a new quality of life. This first shows up, the apostle says, in getting rid of those deadly sins, those behaviors that can lead us to bring being untrue to our position of being hidden in Christ. And Paul identifies two areas where believers often get caught by the sinful earthly things lurking within them, sexual sins and sins of hostility. He begins by detailing sexual sins. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Sexual immorality is a term referencing sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Impurity is behavior that demeans the sanctity of sexuality. Lust is uncontrolled erotic passion. Evil desires is fondling and cherishing illicit gratification. Greed is unchecked hunger for physical gratification. And idolatry is the end result of not following through with renouncing the identified behaviors. God becomes pushed out and he is replaced by that which leads to death, not life. Paul then goes on to address sins of hostility. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Anger is the continuous state of smoldering hostility or seething hatred. Rage is uncontrolled outbursts of words and actions in harmful and often violent ways. Malice, from the meaning, the word meaning evil, with, has the probable meaning of intentional viciousness. Slander, the word here that is translated here, can also be translated as blaspheme and carries with it the idea of dishonoring God by defaming the worth of another human being who has been created in God's image. Filthy language is more than cursing or swearing. It is language that promotes hurt or disgust or mockery towards others. 
and do not lie caps off the sins of hostility because untruth is the seedbed of all these sins of speech. In summary, what the apostle intends is for his readers to experience the reality of what being hidden in Christ means for them. They now have the authority and position to strip themselves of their old ways of living as if they were taking off shabby clothing and replacing it with a whole new wardrobe. And so all you shop till you drop type people, as well as others, listen up. Because Paul goes on to speak now about how we can live by God's design. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Having taken off the shabby clothes linked to their former behaviors, the Colossians now step into the world of designer clothing. They are not accustomed to such an exclusive wardrobe, but as people who are thoroughly loved and chosen by God, it is fitting that they should fashion themselves in this way. And so Paul instructs them to dress themselves in the wardrobe God has picked out for them by putting on the following. Compassion, which is a deep sensitivity to the needs and sorrows of others, particularly the poor and the lonely. Kindness, genuinely acting out a gracious and generous attitude towards others, taking into account their feelings and their interests. Humility, checking the incessant quest to attain honor and rise up the ladder of recognition. Gentleness, demonstrating a quiet spirit that resists retribution. And patience, keeping our emotions in check so as not to react in an out-of-control manner, a willingness to endure wrongs. These new qualities of life are reflective of the grace that God releases in us and point to the fact that although we may not always feel like it, those who belong to Christ have become different people. They now reflect the values and priorities of Christ who is life for them. And as such, we are to consciously display the designer's name. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. An interesting thing has happened in the garment industry in the last few decades when I was in high school and in my young adult life, there was no way that most people could tell what type of clothing I was wearing because the labels were on the back or inside somewhere. But now garment manufacturers have taken the labels that were inside and they put them on the outside. So Nike has its swoosh and, and uh, Ralph Lauren has its polo man and, and uh, Lululemon has its stylized A. And so now we can kind of tell what type of clothing people are wearing because the symbols are on the outside. And I think that's what Paul is saying to us here. People should be able to identify that we are hidden with God in Christ because we bear the name of Jesus in how we respond, how we live, 
it shows in our outward behavior. And so Jesus' way to get his name out there is to write his good name on us so that we become his representatives, wearing his clothing line, displaying his fashion sense. This calls for us to live consciously in the presence of Jesus and to learn to associate all of life with our representation of his name. John Ortberg references a first century Jewish blessing that beautifully expresses the commitment of a disciple to stay in the presence of the one whom he has chosen to follow. The blessing goes like this. May you always be covered by the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you follow your teacher so closely that the dust kicked up by his feet cakes your clothes and covers your face. And so here's the question. How dusty, how dusty is the clothing Paul instructs you to put on from being in the presence of your rabbi, the Lord Jesus? Let's pray. And so, Father, as we have looked at this passage of Scripture, there's a lot there that warms our hearts. There's a lot there that we resonate with and feel good about and, and all and appreciate. But there's also some stuff that kind of sticks in our consciences. And we realize that there are things that we've been set free from that we're not free from. And so I pray that you will help us to understand the reality of the statement that we are set free in Christ. We're set free from the history of our pasts. We're set free from those things that would seek to bind us and hold us back from becoming all that you intend us to be. In Christ, we have been set free. So help us to live in the reality of that freedom. And help us to reflect that freedom as we interact with those that we rub shoulders with and bump into and live with and connect to. Help us to be Jesus to them. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.